Welcome to And Justice for All, the official podcast of Roosevelt University. Exploring the relationship between education and justice and the transformative power of inclusive education. Hosted by Roosevelt University President Ali Malekzadeh. On May 25th, George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police officers. One officer kneeled on his neck for over eight minutes while Mr. Floyd called out, I can't breathe. Floyd's death at the hands of police officers is one in a list that is unimaginably long. His death was a spark that lit a fire of protests and movements across the world. Movements to make real change and work to dismantle the systematic oppression that has plagued the black community for far too long. In an effort to truly live up to our mission of social justice and equity, as well as to honor the black lives taken by police brutality, Roosevelt created the Black Student Equity Fund. This fund was created to support black students and promote equity in higher education attainment. Since the fund's creation on June 10th, we have raised over $54,000. Today I am joined by Pamela Thompson-Hill, Director of Multicultural Student Support Services, and Jamar Orr, Vice President of Student Affairs and Dean of Students. We take time to reflect on their feelings about recent events, how this all has affected the students that they work with, and how the money raised for the Black Student Equity Fund will be used. This is an important and powerful conversation. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And before we jump in, I want to say, Black Lives Matter. All right, uh, Jamar and Pamela, how are you feeling at this moment? Go ahead, Pam. Feeling good, feeling good. Feeling pretty hopeful about everything that's been happening. You know, I just feel like this is a time now for much needed change uh, in our communities and on our campus. And so I am hopeful that the time is now for us to get things going. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you say change, but we want to see permanent change for the better is what you are saying, correct? Yes, positive, permanent change. Yeah. And Jamar? Feeling good as well. Uh, Definitely feeling reflective and thinking about where we are and everything that's happened in such a short number of of weeks and, and days. But then you look at that in the context of history and how many centuries it's taken us to get here. So I'm just kind of wrestling with all of that right now. And as Pam says, still feeling hopeful, though, about what's to come. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we're all hoping that this is not a moment, but a movement that can take us from where we are significantly forward in a positive way to affect the lives of our black community throughout the United States. 
So how have the recent events affected the students you work with? Pam, you go first. The recent events have impacted our students in a lot of different ways. You know, that coupled with COVID-19 and with George Floyd and then the sudden shift to online instruction. It's been a lot. It's been a lot for students to process. And they've been very verbal and very vocal about their uh, feelings of being overwhelmed, their feelings of frustration, just unknowing Um, And basically a lot of fear or just a lot of fear of the unknown. And so it has definitely impacted our students in a way that's just been beyond anything that I think we could have ever imagined. Yeah. Yeah. Jamar? Yeah. I mean, I think our students are fired up, to be completely honest. I've been a part of a lot of Zoom conversations, a lot of private meetings with students, and I'm definitely getting a sense that they are engaged um, in ways that I haven't seen before. If you think about, you know, their lifetime, I don't know if there's been a mass movement in their lifetime in the way that this has has been. Um, I was looking at the news the other day that this is the largest movement, um, social justice movement in the history of the country, given the number of people who have you know, gone to the streets and participated. So when I think about that from our students' perspective, what a defining moment. If we think about going back to, you know, the 60s and what that meant for the young people who were on the on the front lines, marching, the Montgomery bus boycott, all of those pieces, and how seminal it was to their development. I look forward to seeing what this means for our students right now who are in the, the midst and in the trenches of this fight. But they're definitely fired up and engaged um, in being the active citizens that we hope they would be. Yeah, in that that regard, you know, as you mentioned, obviously, all 50 states have been protests. And, you know, surprisingly, there have been protests in other countries as well. The black community in many other countries has also been awakened by this movement. Do you see any of that as you peruse the news and you listen to the news, Jamar and then Pam? Absolutely. Uh, at the beginning of the the kind of uproar um, that that sparked, you know, the the movement, um, I was so shocked when the Pope said George Floyd's name. And we think about the countless number of African Americans who've lost their lives to state sanctioned violence. This is one name out of many, 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 many. But finally, in this moment, we have people like the Pope, the Queen of England, saying a black man's name who's been murdered and what that means in terms of visibility for the issue and what that means in terms of the potential that this is more, as you said, Ali, more than a moment, but it's truly a movement has really shocked, I think, the conscience of of our nation and our world to really think about these issues in ways that they haven't done before. So it's definitely reflected in what we're seeing on the news and, and around the world right now. And Pam, your reaction? Yeah, I mean, well, Jamar really said it very eloquently, but just the idea of the movement, you know, it's more than a protest. And just speaking with my mother, uh, I was a baby in the 60s, and she just said that this seems so much more different. She just says it seems more powerful to see so many different types of people across communities, across the globe coming together for a common cause. I mean, for her, my mom will be 80 this year. She said that this is amazing. It's it's really inspiring and motivating her to finally see things change after a lot, a lot of years. Yeah. And, you know, let's bring it back home. And the creation of the Black Student Equity Fund 
Why do you think this, it was important to create this fund right now at Roosevelt University? Pam, you go first. Yeah, I think the time is now. You know, as Jamara mentioned earlier about the different um, opportunities that we've presented for students to speak, the different forums and things of that nature, students are basically telling us what they need. They're being very vocal and very proactive. And a lot of it is stemming around their abilities to to be able to remain students, students at Roosevelt. The protests coupled with COVID-19, you know, impacting their livelihoods, their jobs, their, their parents' jobs, their ability to be able to pay tuition and see if they're even going to be able to come back as students in the fall has been number one on their list of concerns. So a fund like the Black Student Equity Fund, it's, it's critical. It's, it's definitely needed to help support our Black students to be able to remain successful and stay on the path and do what they've been destined to do. You know, a lot of our first generation students, they're the first in their families to have opportunities to go to college and to be cut down right now because the circumstances beyond their control is just beyond, beyond understanding. And so if any time something like this would be more necessary, it, it would be now, definitely now. And Jamar, same question, why now? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Pam mentioned, I think there's definitely power in corporations and institutions verbally expressing what they feel about the Black Lives Matter movement and standing in solidarity with it. I think it's something different when you look at well, what actions have those corporations and those institutions taken to really show and demonstrate that it's more than just words. And so I think for us as an institution grounded in social justice, it was imperative for us to really do more than just put out statements and do more than just talk and listen with students. We had to demonstrate that it was actual steps that we were taking to, at least on our own doorsteps, really look at this problem and figure out what we could do to, do to address it. I think the Black Student Equity Fund is a first step in a much larger plan in terms of what we plan to actualize at Roosevelt to help our African-American students. Because it's one thing to come to college, it's a whole other thing to graduate. And my hope and the intention of the Black Student Equity Fund is to really help our students who identify as African-American do that and not just come here, but really succeed and thrive once they arrive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And really supporting every student and especially at this moment, uh, our black students, African-American students to succeed and continue their education. Do you think the fund will help these students accomplish their goals? No, I do. I do. I think that it's definitely a positive step in the right direction. Uh, it would allow us to schedule or develop scholarships that could help students and specific programming to help empower and educate and enlighten our campus overall in terms of needs of black students. So it's definitely uh, needed. Yeah. Now, from your perspective, what does true equity look like in higher education at Roosevelt University as you talk to specifically African-American students? Jamar? That's a really great question. There's a saying that goes that education is the great equalizer. But that statement assumes that we're all starting from the same point. And so you ask the question about, well, what does it look like at Roosevelt? And I would actually go a couple of steps further because uh, the real problem doesn't start when a student gets to college because there are so many Black students who never even get here. The question is, what are we doing in elementary education to make sure that students are starting off on the right foot? How are we ensuring that they have adequate access 
to social services to make sure that in the early ed- stages of their education, they're not falling behind. And when they get to uh, an institution like ours at Roosevelt, we should be thinking about what are the disadvantages and acknowledging those disadvantages that some of our students may have had, and then trying to look for ways that we can really shore up those differences that, that may exist either in their educational experiences or in their financial ability to, for a number of reasons, be able to pay to attend a school like Roosevelt University. So how can we fill in those gaps that exist, that have existed long before they decide to enroll at Roosevelt, but have likely been there for most of their lives, and really look at that from a structural standpoint and put systems in place that are intentionally targeted to look at that. And that's why I'm so proud of Roosevelt, because we're involved in programs like ILEA, which is looking specifically at those equity deficits to figure out strategies to help close some of those differences and gaps. Yeah, same question for Pam. Um, To add on to that, I think that it also includes two things that I feel are interconnected. Fairness, so that students' personal and social circumstances doesn't impact their ability to be successful in college. And inclusion, making sure that each student is having a basic level of education. I know from a lot of our conversations with students, they're concerned about Uh, curriculum overhauls, you know, making sure that African-American history and issues that impact Black students are taught on a year-long basis and be a required subject for all students across the board so that we can learn about each other's cultures, learn about our past, our history, our mistakes, and then together be able to move forward. Yeah, and, you know, uh, obviously in that regard, we're looking for long-term impact uh, that all these programs would have, and especially this movement at this moment on the education of African-American students and how it will change our community. Uh, you know, this morning I was listening to a program that when the interstate system was being built, specifically in Chicago, it was a way to divide the African-American uh, community from the white community. It was designed that way. So when we get to systematic injustices, we need to resolve them. And I'm really hoping that this movement, uh, Black Lives uh, Movement, will help us all change our community, as Pam mentioned, for the better. You know, final thoughts. Where do we go from here? Pam and then Jamar. (laughs) Oh, Jamar can't go first on this one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, where do we go? Oh, it's it's our work is cut out for us, President Ali. You know, we we have a lot of work to do. As Jamar mentioned earlier, the students are energized. I mean, I think now is the best time to get them on board. They're emailing, they're writing, they're calling. They want to know what can we do, when can we get started? These are our ideas. What ideas do you have? Just tell us when and where, and we're there. And additionally, faculty and staff, too, have been emailing, just reaching out, saying, hi, you know, I hear you. What do you need? What can we do? We want to be a part of this process. And so I think the only way that we can go is up in a positive direction. And I really I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to all the contributions that our students will make. Uh, I admire the faculty and staff reaching out to want to contribute and do their part as well. So I think collectively the only thing we can do is make positive change. And I'm excited about it and looking forward to it. Okay, Jawar? Uh, here's Ali with the heavy questions. 
Where do we go next? Well, I, I honestly think that the first step is to acknowledge that racism is real. It's a real thing that has very real roots in our history and in our culture, um, and that all organizations and institutions are a part of that system, right? And so when we openly acknowledge that, we can then begin the work of dismantling that. And so even as I think about Roosevelt, we're not immune from that. We're, we're all human beings living in this culture that informs how we think and how we operate. And so what we need to do is A, acknowledge, B, tear down that system, and then C, or three, whichever one you want to say, I think we need to listen and really talk to our students about what it is that they need and, and help them help us in terms of reshaping how we think about the education that we offer, the ways in which we provide that to students who may be different, who may have different challenges. And I think the, the very last thing that we need to do is to, once we've kind of made those changes, look at data, because I think data has to drive what we're doing. So when we look at what are the completion rates of our African-American students, when we look at how are they coming into the institution, are they adequately prepared? When we look at their outcomes after graduation, are they on par with their white peers and counterparts and allow that data to really tell a story and to guide us in terms of next steps. And that's for us um, as a university. And I really think that's really for us as a city, as a, as a nation, as a world, to really allow the, the facts to speak for themselves. The fact that we have such disparities in healthcare, those things can be analyzed. The fact that we have disparities in education, that can be analyzed. And I think we have to care enough to look at the data and ask ourselves the tough question of why is it, why is it this way? And what can we do to solve it and never stop asking those questions? Yeah. You know, it reminds me of a student who was telling me that an African-American student being confronted by a white student saying, well, you got your president. What else do you want? Okay. And, you know, being a really sharp student as she was, she said, well, I want uh, equity in wealth, in health in policing, you know, in social justice, and everyday life, I want to be treated just like everybody else. And that was just such a perfect response. And I think this movement, this Black Lives Movement, has brought all of that to the forefront. So it's not just about, you know, Mr. Floyd being murdered by police, which he was, but suddenly awakened everybody that there is a system of injustice that we need to address throughout our system of education, our healthcare, our policing, and overall in our daily lives as well. So I'm optimistic, but it is a struggle. It is everyday struggle that we need to look at and going forward, uh, two steps and backwards a step and two steps forward. Hopefully we will have better leadership across the nation to help us in this movement. I am so happy you guys joined me. Thank you so much for your conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much for the invitation. And Justice for All is produced by Roosevelt University and is available at roosevelt.edu or anywhere you get your podcasts. The music for And Justice for All is written and produced by Jesse Case. Thanks for listening. <laughs>